Hello and welcome to Monocle on Culture with me, Robert Bound, where today I'm speaking to the one and only Sir Tom Jones. Tom Jones? Who? Oh yes, the global superstar and fire-breathing Welsh dragon who sold over 100 million albums in a career spanning six decades. That's who. We all think we know Tom Jones, don't we? From Bond themes, Delilah, the green green grass of home, and it's not unusual. The huge voice, the charisma, the curly-haired ladies' man who almost drowned in a sea of female underwear flung his way towards the stage. Sure, But Jones, now 80 years old, has been having a wonderfully productive, creative and rewarding autumnal bloom. He's a primetime TV star on BBC's singing show The Voice and his national treasure status is surely set in stone. But better than that, his recent run of four albums with the record producer Ethan Johns have been brave, sometimes rather bare, ruminative works that have highlighted that wonderful voice, once a tenor, now a baritone. They've hinted also towards age, frailty and loss, covering songs by Bob Dylan, Todd Snyder and the Waterboys in experimental arrangements and a bit of brooding spoken word. He's still Tom Jones, big, charming and in control, but this is a new dimension and a welcome one. What an honour, really, to talk about his new album, Surrounded by Time. Here is Tom Jones. Well, Sir Tom Jones, thank you so much uh, for your time today. It's an honour to have you on the programme. And we're talking about the wonderful new records surrounded by time, for which there's been much inexpert crooning around my sitting room and kitchen in South London. It's an amazing thing. And I wanted to ask you first, Tom, about choosing the material to go on there. You've got a real broad brushstroke kind of approach to some of the things on there. How did that come about? Well, first of all, I'd worked with Ethan before and... I thought, well, there's a good start right there to to use Ethan and to do something different from what we'd done previously because the I did three albums with Ethan sort of straight ahead, you know, Roots Music, live in the studio, rhythm section, straight ahead. So this time uh, we sort of put our heads together and said, well, it needs to sound different. Let's experiment with the sounds. So that's what we did. So I... When I when I went into Mono Valley in Monmouthshire in, in Wales, first time I'd ever recorded in Wales, funny enough, because in the 60s, you see, they didn't have recording studios in South Wales. I thought, well, this is a good place to start. We recorded in Wales, in the Mono Valley. The Welsh dragon was flying outside the studio. And I thought, well, that's a good start. There's an omen right there. So then, <laughs> the, you know, we went in. So Ethan said, well... Songs, you know, and I said, well, I've held on to a song since I was about 32, 33 years old called I'm Growing Old, which was written by a man called Bobby Cole. And he gave it to me in Las Vegas in the 70s. And I said, well, look, I think I'm, I'm not old enough to do this song at that time. So that was the one that I held. And I thought, if I ever do, if I'm lucky enough <laughs> to grow old, I'll do it then. So I said to Ethan, I think this is the time to do this song now. And he said, well, do you want to admit to growing old? And I said, well, yeah, because it says I'm growing old. Not that I've grown old. And the different things that happen when you do, slower in your walk, you know, and, but wiser. That was the first song that I wanted to do. And then secondly was Old Mother Earth. When we did it originally, I sang it. And Ethan said, well, you know, the, lyrically, it's a great, it's great. 
but the melody is not all that. And then I said, well, what about if I speak it? What about if I talk it? What do you think? And he said, well, give it a shot. So we did, and that's how that came about. Because I'd always been interested in the spoken word, you see, ever since I heard uh, Hank Williams do uh, Luke the Drifter, and that was Hank Williams speaking songs as opposed to singing them, and I always liked that. So I wanted to do that. So we did uh, Old Mother Earth like that and the talking television reality blues, which was already that. Anyway. The Todd Snyder. Yeah, so, that's, a, that's an amazing rendition of that. A lot of these songs also are storytelling songs. There's, the, there's when, when I Grow Older is, and, and The Water Boys is quite a storytelling song. Probably none more so than the Dylan, One More Cup of Coffee for the Road. I mean, these obviously these are songs that paint pictures for most listeners. But as a as a, as an interpreter of those songs, do you have to kind of get into. Are you riding a horse through that valley that that Bob Dylan talks about? Are you? Do you have to kind of get a, take on a mantle to sing those songs? Do you know what I mean? I I look at songs like an actor looks at a script. You know, when when you when you take on a role, that's where I like to say it's my interpretation of this song. It's like an actor when he takes or she takes a part. They put their own self into that role. As when you see somebody else do it, it's going to be different, you know, than that actor or actress doing that role. And I feel like that when I sing a song. I get into the picture of, I see that girl, you know, in the gypsy camp that he's saying about, you know. It's like, you know, your breath is sweet. Your your eyes are like two jewels in the, in the night, I say, instead of the sky. Yeah. It doesn't, doesn't rhyme, but that's why I saw it. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you, you get into it. That's what I do. I put myself in that gypsy camp. You know, I'm there. I'm looking at this girl. And her father is, you know, shouting the odds. He's the, he's the king of the gypsies. And, you know, I'm, I'm in that bloody camp. And... Uh, <laughs> And that's, that's the way I see it. And Dylan himself says, uh, when people say to him, well, what were you thinking when you did it? And he says, you take from it what you put it into your own life, which, which is true. So that one more cup of coffee, you know, for me, may be different to somebody else. It's like being in a place where you think, well, I don't know whether I should really be here, but maybe just another little taste of whatever it is yeah. before I go. To the valley below, you know, which is very simple for me, it's a hangover the following day. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know, with a cup of coffee and a big cognac and a, like that. But it's it's being somewhere where you think that last drink, should I have another one or not? I get into the story. That's that's what I do. I see the girl, you know, with her hair, you know, and on the pillow where you lie. I mean, Christ, he spells it out. You know, Dylan wrote wrote it. You know, and he spells it out for you. That's all you got to do, really. Then is act it. That's what I do. Act the part out. There was a there was a movie that I saw years ago called Golden Earrings that um, Ray Milan did with uh, with. Um, oh yeah, the, he was in the, the, he was in the Lost Weekend and other things. Right? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Well, he was yeah. he was this guy that got uh, in the war <laughs> and he was in his gypsy camp. Well, it's like that. You know, I saw that movie and it affected me when I was a kid. I saw him. Uh, take on this gypsy role because he was hiding out. He was a, a an agent, and he was with Marlene Dietrich, and she was the she was the gypsy uh, woman, and uh, he was this a British agent that was in this gypsy camp. So he, that thing 
stuck in my mind, you know. So I was there. I was Ray Milan, you know, with uh, <laughs> with Marlene Dietrich with the big golden earrings. It's like that. Yeah. So I put, I get in there. I, I put myself in that frame of mind. And that's particularly used when you're recording in a in a you know even in as august a space as Mono Valley in in Wales. Tom, you you've got that. You have to kind of project yourself to some sort of Mexican valley or some sort of bandit country, whatever it might be. That's an amazing thing to sort of have to sort of be able to transport yourself and take on this other persona to kind of get that vocal performance or that subtlety or to to walk walk around that song and inhabit inhabit it. I suppose is that something you've done through your career? It, obviously, there's been a number of things on stage and off which take. A lot of a lot of chutzpah and a lot of balls and a lot of kind of you know performative things. Is, is that is that the same in the studio and on stage? Uh, it's not exactly the same. It's, sometimes it is because you need to be larger than life. Like mm. on stage, I'm larger than life. You know because you've got people there in front of you, and I try to get as much out of myself as I possibly can uh, to to project to those people. Now, when you're in the studio, sometimes you, uh, for instance, the first time when I recorded with Ethan, we did a Bob Dylan song called What Good Am I? Right. And it's about a man that's standing by letting things happen, you know, or you shouldn't let happen. You know, what good am I if I say foolish things, you know, and I laugh in the face of what sorrow brings. It's, 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 I, I, when I first did it, I, 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 I was too large with it. You know, it was like, what good am I if I, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like I'm on stage. And so, so we don't mind we that, went, you realize. <laughs> well, you know, but anyway, in the studio, you see, people can't see that. So you've got to try and create something that they can't see that they see themselves. So we went and had some dinner and Ethan said, uh, do you want to try that again? I said, sure, if you want to. And he said, uh, try not to sell it. Don't sell it. Just sing it to yourself. Just put yourself in that position, but you, you're questioning yourself rather than asking the audience, you know, or saying or pleading with them, what good am I if I do this or do that? Say it to yourself. You know, what good am you're I? sort of looking in the mirror kind of thing. Exactly. Yeah. Look in the mirror rather than perform mm -hmm. on stage. And, and the, the, as soon as I got that, it, it was different. It came out different. It came out more tender. It came out more not performing it. It's um, like if I was singing it to myself or just thinking it even, you know, and it just comes out like that. Uh, so I learned, I'm always learning, even now. You learn to, to get yourself into position and remember that you're recording and you're not on stage being larger than life. You're in a studio now and you're putting it on wax or whatever whatever the format <laughs> may be nowadays but it's um it's like that so you've got to think about that but sometimes you can be abandoned you know you could like pop star yeah. you know i'm like hey mom you know hey mama look at me i'm on tv i'm going on my first gig you know whoo you know like that so you treat that in a different way to what you would uh, one more cup of coffee you know, it's a different different mindset you've got to get your i do anyway get my mind into that song and get the picture get into that picture 
And because some of the tracks on this and and on these last three um, records that you've done with with Ethan Johns, they've got a a confessional quality. They've got a bit of looking in the mirror quality to them. I've loved that. And I know that I know that, you know, lots of people have really picked up on that, that after a career being very larger than life on stage and everyone loving that and digging it. But these things are a different sort of chapter, it seems. Is that easy for you to sort of um, to broadcast, you know, the, the idea that there's a that everybody's a different person when they close the door at the end of the day, aren't they? And, and it seems like we're seeing a little bit of that, perhaps. That's right. I think you could be more intimate uh, sometimes on record than you can on stage. What I try to do on stage, if, if the song again, if the song calls for it, close your eyes and take yourself away from the actual being on stage sometimes. You know, and and sometimes when I'm on TV, I've got to be reminded to open my eyes, you know, because I, <laughs> I try to put myself into a place where, you know, that's it. And and uh, Mark, you know, Mark, my son, and Mark, he sort of said, well, you know, if you could open your eyes, what's your choice? You know, just to see, because it looks like you've gone into another world. And I said, well, I am, you know. Yeah. He said, yeah, but sometimes people don't understand that. But you can you can do that more on uh, on record than you can actually like on TV or, or on stage sometimes. You've got to try and hit a uh, happy medium sometimes uh, in order not to lose the essence of the song, you see, by p- overperforming it. And that's something that, that I've got to try and hold back on sometimes because, you know, singing in workmen's clubs to a lot of, you know, coal miners and their wives and girlfriends in South Wales, you've got to have a big voice. You can't be up there sing it to yourself you better you know you better perform so when you learn your trade in a certain way sometimes it's difficult then to um to sort of take to it change. to bits. yeah 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 to start all over again sometimes you know you think well wait a minute i gotta i gotta rethink this i don't want to look like i'm just coming on like mr jolly uh you know <laughs> this song is not, this song is not jolly you know what I mean? yeah. you, gotta, you gotta be a bit more serious sometimes you mentioned those those days, the working men's clubs in South Wales and all the rest of it, from which there is such a proud tradition of, of song and of singing. I'm sure you've been asked this question a million times, but I wonder what what those first songs you heard on the radio were, or what the songs that you heard around the piano were that, that kind of injected you with this kind of passion for doing it yourself, standing up on stage. What were those kind of bricks in the wall for you early on? Yeah. Um, well, as far back as I can remember, there, there was a song I used to do in school called Ghost Riders in the Sky, ah. you see, where I could accompany myself because I used to bang the desk. And it had a, <laughs> it had a great sound. If you, if, you sm- if you hit the desk with the, with the, with the palm of your hand or, the, or the, whatever that part of your hand is called. Yeah, the heel of your hand, I think. The heel of your hand, yeah. yes. Well, if you bang that, you know, th- there's the bass drum right there, you see, especially on a desk in school. Mm. That, is, that resonates when you when you hit it with your... So it was like, bump, 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 you know, like this. I could get a rhythm going and then sing Ghost Riders in the Sky. So I did that without having to rely on somebody playing the bloody piano who didn't know it, you know what I mean? Or something. I could accompany myself in some way. So I used to go for a cappella stuff, you know, that I could get up and sing. And I used to see fellas do it uh, a bit later on, when I when I was able to go to pubs and, and uh, work in his clubs myself, I saw a, a man 
his name was Glenog Evans, who was a rugby player, apart from other things. He was a big chap, coal miner, rugby player. And he would get up on a Sunday night in the Woodrow Club. And we would be there, teddy boys, young, you know, hoodlums. Bothering everyone. Yeah, bothering everyone. <laughs> you know, like, oh, okay, come on, Glenog, you know, give us a song. Now, he would sing a song called My Mother's Eyes, right? So here we are, me and my mates, taking the piss, really, you know, thinking, oh, come on, Glenog, yeah, come on, sing uh, like this. And they would open the, the windows in the Woodrow Club, in the summertime especially, of course. And there was another club down on the Broadway, which is a street below us, uh, the Fifth Welsh, right? Which was um, another another club. So they would like, okay, wait a minute, Glenog, let's open the windows so they can hear you down in the Fifth Welsh. You know what I mean? Because he didn't <laughs> want to use the microphone. He would put the microphone to the other side of the stage. I don't need that. You know what I mean? I can sing like this. So we're looking at him and thinking, okay, go on, you know. And he would sing My Mother's Eyes. And this is true as God's my living judge. He would start this thing and we think, oh, okay. And by the end of it, he would have everybody crying. Yeah. <laughs> all my life. You know, yeah. All us teddy boys, right? So I thought, Jesus Christ, if this fella, you know, starting off, we're taking a piss out of him and he ends up and we're all fucking weeping. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> if you can do that, that is, there, there it is right there, in a yeah. nutshell. So... All those things I was taking on board, you see. And and then when I got to sing myself in these clubs, uh, I, I would rely on stuff like that. And you can do that with a rock and roll song or, you know, if like when I first went into a workman's club with a with a band, with my with my rhythm section, right? The first thing was pay them off. This is what they used to show, pay them. Not to play. Pay you not to play. Once they saw electric guitars and amplifiers, you see. So now... Now I've got to get up there and say, just a minute, lads, you know, you know me. Oh, yes, we know you, Tommy. Yes, you're all right. But, you know, what about all the rest of it? And I said, well, just wait a minute. So I said, say to the band, that we'll start with My Mother's Eyes. And we can do, I believe, Frankie Lane, Big Ballad, see? Boom. Then, all of a sudden, Great Balls of Fire. You know what I mean? You know, when they're not looking. You soften them up a bit. <laughs> exactly. But you've got to go, you've got to learn to to give people what they want. You know, to let them know that you can sing the kind of stuff that they are used to listening to. Then you can you can teach them, if you like, you know, with something that they wouldn't ordinarily listen to. So much so that by the end of the night, the fellow that booked us said, could I call the... Uh, the police station to get an extension and you can play the midnight and we'll move all the tables and chairs back and have a dance. Well, I thought, look at this. From pay them off at the beginning to would there be any possibility of getting an extension? Yeah. You know, for all my life, in yeah. one night. And you think, well, see, there you go. So I'm always getting back to this, what songs do you pick? You need the basis first. You need to get the essence of the song down. Then you can play with it. And there's been a lot of uh, uh, what I thought about this record and the ones you've done with, with Ethan Johns are that he's he's captured something really clever, which is maybe having you who are so uh, adept at, sta at stagecraft and, and in the studio, I'm sure, you know, with your way around a song and, and all the rest of it and the band and all the rest of it, actually having you thinking through a song. We're listening to you, I think, on this record. If you don't mind me saying, we're, we're kind of 
we are a party to you figuring it out slightly in certain places. And that's really, that's very gratifying for a listener. And it's very gratifying with someone with a, with a career such as yourself, with all sorts of different parts to it. You know, the Vegas part, the, the huge pop songs of the 60s and 70s as well, and the 90s. But it's really gratifying to, to hear someone such as yourself with the great stature that you have and the great voice trying to trying to figure something out almost it's great to hear yeah yeah well yeah well that's that's exactly right with with the that was the river this is the sea i'm feeling my way through that song you know and i and i'm and i'm like uh, well you know like a couple of words i was like wait a minute you know i i don't want to rush into this area here it needs just a little bit so the timing comes out in a different way and then you listen to it and you think, shit, that really worked there. You know, I'm 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 searching, but it's you you you're telling somebody, just a minute, you know, that was then, this is now. That's what that song says to me. So things come out sometimes when you are searching. And as you say, it it, it sounds like that. And that's that's what that's what happens sometimes. Without you really knowing it, you you you're trying to express something, the best way you know how, and and even if you stumble a little bit sometimes, there it is, you know it it comes out as long as you as long as you end the phrase where you should, you know what I mean? As long as, long as you don't fall too far back, you can get those things in, and they're more interesting when they are stretched in certain places, you know. Um and Nat King Cole's wonderful songs when he's sung in Spanish. Uh-huh. And, and there's something where he's sort of super comfortable doing it, but it's not entirely his, you know, it's not his language. And there's, I found something about that, that, that I'm listening to these songs saying, this is even better. And I love that Waterboys song. And I love that Bob Dylan song and the Terry Callier. And I'm, and I'm, and then I'm listening to you doing it. And I'm thinking, this is, this is genius. This is even better. I'm, I'm a hit. You know, it's not, it's, it's someone. Yeah. As I say, there's, there's something which is very, lovely to hear from you if you don't mind me saying which is just that element of frailty and that element of thought in it which is just uh it's something that that lots of people probably wouldn't have heard from you before at least for, for years and so it's a, yeah. it's a wonderful thing well that's what you search for you know i mean that's that's what i always try to do but sometimes things are so set you know when when i first started recording you 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 work with the arranger you get the key you know what feel you want on it then he takes it away does an arrangement, and then the next time you hear it is when you get into the studio. This is the way it used to be. So it was set. So hopefully the arranger in those days has got the foresight to see what you meant when you were trying to tell him what you wanted from it. You know, and and sometimes you, you can be pleasantly surprised with things. You know that that work out like the green green grass of home. You know, I heard Jerry Lee Lewis do it, and I thought, "Whoa, this is great! I love this." You know, and people haven't heard it in Britain yet. You know, the Jerry Lee Lewis version. So I heard it like that. You know, the old hometown looks the same. Boom, 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 step down. You know, like that straight ahead country. Les Reed, pop arranger, right? Writer. You wrote Delilah. So he's a pop arranger. So he said. Let me let me just think about this. You know, I, I want to. I'm going to put this into a different area. You can sing it in the same key, the same way as you know it. But if you would leave the rest to me, so I said, okay. So when I went in there to do it, and, uh, and he's got the strings, you know, the whole, we used to do everything live, you know. 
everybody's there, this huge orchestra, and it's like boom, 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 boom. And I'm thinking, what the fuck? You know what? You know what? What is happening? And he just points at me like this, and I go, the old hometown looks the same. Boom, boom, boom. But the rhythm is completely different to what I've heard. Yeah. But I went along with it because I I learned that many years ago. Try it first before you become. You know, don't sort of say, oh no, that's wrong. Oh no, let's start again. Oh, wait a minute. Try it first. Then listen, then make up your mind what you think, right? But you talk about it first, you see, before you before you actually get to it, talk about it. How are we going to do this? Let me get the mindset. I don't want to get caught out, you know, like, <laughs> like some of the <laughs> it things It sounds before. like recording the green, green grass of home. I mean, that's 1966 and we're talking, I mean, this is why, this is why it's so wonderful to talk to you about the, the new record and then we cut back to 66 and here we are, you know, when you mentioned the Waterboys and, you know, you think it's 1973, whatever that lyric is, and I'm thinking of you on stage in Vegas, there are so many colours to this flag, right? It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, see, in Vegas, you know, like when people used to say, well, you, you're a Vegas act. No, I'm not a Vegas act. I'm just singing my songs in Las Vegas. It could, it <laughs> could be in London. Exactly. It could be at the talk of the town in London or the London Palladium, you know, in those days. Or it could be in a workman's club. You know, I have, I'm still the same person that sang in the Green Fly in Bedwas, right? <laughs> you know what I mean? To if I'm in Caesar's Palace. I just had one last question. Sir Tom, and that is you mentioned we talked about some of these some of these numbers on the new record, which are quite it's a bit like looking in the mirror and all the rest of it. And I've wondered around the house, do you sing to yourself? I mean, you said you presumably need to practice the phrasing of some of these things. I've always wondered about about you. It's like, do you call, do you have to save it all up and then belt it out and, and <laughs> sing it, or do you have do you have do you sing around the house? Do you sing in the bath. I mean, you know, does, is that what Tom Jones does? Yes. I sing all the time. I'm singing. I'm either whistling or singing. There's music running through my head all the time. So I don't sing it with the same. I don't sort of get up and go, oh, you know. There goes the neighborhood. Jones has yeah, moved in. Exactly. I don't get all that, you know. I sing things to myself more. You know what I mean? But I do phrasing all the time. How do I treat this song? If I'm going to do that one, what am I going to do with it? I'm always thinking. Always. I'm never without music. There's never a day goes by in my life that I don't, I, I'm either listening to stuff that, that I haven't heard for a while and I'll put it on, you know, which lockdown has given me a chance to do, you know, get all of a lot of my old albums that I haven't listened to for years and just ref, reflect and, re, and relive, you know, and things like that. So it's, but music every day, there's music in my life. I've never known life without it. And that's a fact. My thanks to Sir Tom Jones for speaking to me today and his new record, Surrounded by Time, is out now. Monocle on Culture is produced by Holly Fisher. I'll be back at the same time next week when I'll be speaking to the Scottish author Andrew O'Hagan about his brilliant novel Mayflies. But until then, from me, Robert Bound, thank you very much for tuning in. 